So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 7 again, Lord willing. So far in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has told us about a vision that he had one night. This was a couple of years after his friend and king, Nebuchadnezzar, died. His, uh, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar is now co-regent. His father, Nabonius, is out of town. We're 14 years, we think, before the writing on the wall incident. Uh, so this is kind of where we're at. In this vision, Daniel saw four great beasts arise. I had a slide of this, but the artist's renditions of it is so ridiculous. I just, you know, when you get this uh, four-headed leopard, I mean, it's just ridiculous looking. So I, I, I'm not going to put that up. But one was like a lion that had eagle's wings. The second one that came up out of the sea. And remember I said the sea appears to represent the Mediterranean Sea. The second was like a, uh, the second was like a bear with three ribs in each mouth. Uh, the third was like a four-headed leopard with uh, little duck wings, four little duck wings on its back. It's pretty ridiculous when you think about it. And the fourth one, uh, and that's the next slide, I think. Let me get over to that. i got to get my mouse in the right direction. The next one is, uh, so what do you have here? Okay, good. Hopefully the Zoomers are with us here. After this, and I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. That's where we quit last Sunday. You know, from the angel in verse 17, we learn, uh, verse 17 of, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 17 of Daniel chapter 7, we learn that these great beasts, which are four, are four kings. They're not just kings, they're empires, they're world empires, and they're not just world empires, they're world empires that persecute Israel. These four are going to be the empires that conquer and enslave Israel throughout her entire history with the exception of that period of time we call the church age. During the church age, which at this point is a mystery in the Old Testament, nothing is said. All right. Now we know what Jesus said. He said until the end, and I forgot the word that he used, or being, uh, oh, mm, it slipped my mind. Anyway, he said a word to describe, describe what Israel would go through for that 2,000 year history of the church but the word has completely left my mind, so maybe it'll come back to me. So I came into, verse 16 reads, uh, I came into one of them that stood by, and as I read that, I think, now wait a minute, you're supposed to be laying in your bed, and you're having a dream, or you're having a vision while you're awake, but now you're walking over to someone, so you kind of, it's reminiscent, if you will, I guess reminiscent isn't the right word because it pre-exempts John, but it kind of reminds us of John who was on the Isle of Patmos but felt himself spiritually transported to heaven and he was able to walk around. At any rate, Daniel goes over to someone in the middle of this vision and asks him a question. And this, this personage, I'm saying it's an angel. The scripture does not say it's an angel. It could be one of the uh, Old Testament saints that's been raised. It could be anyone, but I'm assuming it's an angel said unto him, these are four, four kings which shall arise out of the earth and then verse 18, I left that up there, even though it's the end of my sermon. It says, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So this is bad, Daniel. 
Four empires are going to rise up. He hasn't told him this yet. And they're going to conquer your nation. And they're going to enslave your nation. And they're going to persecute the saints. But don't worry. In the end, God's people win. That's really the message. And that's the whole sermon there. We could actually stop right there. These same kingdoms are also revealed in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Remember, he was going to kill everybody. They couldn't tell him not only what the dream was, but what the interpretation was. And in in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he saw this gigantic idol. And in that idol, the metals kept changing. And each time it changed, Daniel said it was a kingdom change. And you know, we went from, uh, let's see if I can get this right now, we went from the Babylonian Empire to the Persian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, if you will, to the Greek Empire, to the Roman Empire. And you get down to the legs and the feet of it. And there, there were iron mixed with miry clay and then a stone uh, it breaks out of a mountain not cut with hand and crushes the idol in the powder and it all blows away so you have this thing where this stone not cut with hands cut without hands i'm not saying that correctly this stone is the thing that's the lord jesus christ that uh, moses struck in the beginning of their wilderness and spoke to us supposed to speak to at the end this is the lord jesus christ which takes conquers these kingdoms and he sets up a kingdom of his own so we see this in chapter 2 we also see it here in chapter 7 and what's interesting if i could click one more time yeah that's working good i hope it's working on zoom uh but uh hosea describes a similar event now you know moses let me get you the reference here if you're taking notes Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 7 through 18. Moses warned Israel that when they got into the land and they lived in houses that they didn't build and they ate from gardens that they didn't plant and and drove cars that they... No, that's not what he said. But anyway, they they lived on a land that they did no work to obtain. They would forget God. And And Moses said, beware lest you forget your God. Do not forget God. And that, that's really kind of where we're at in America today, isn't it? We've forgotten God. According to their pastor, uh, the, so were they filled. See, uh, Hosea, this is a prophecy of Hosea that says, your pastors were already planted for you and you're full. You don't need me anymore. You don't bother to pray to me. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they have forgotten me. But what's interesting about this Hosea passage is he says, therefore, I will be unto them like a lion as a leopard by the way I will observe them. You ever thought about how leopards sit up in a tree there and they just watch as you go by until you get just close enough and then they pounce on you. Uh, And uh, by the way, I will observe them and I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps, which by the way is a very unhappy bear. And I will rim the call of their hearts. I don't know what call means. I should have looked it up. Does anyone know? C-A-U-L? Rend the call of their hearts. Doesn't sound pleasant though, does it? Whatever call is, it doesn't sound pleasant. And there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. And verse 9, I left that on there because I thought it was interesting. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. But in me is thine help. It's a sad, it's a sad truth. It's hard to imagine that a nation going through everything that Israel has gone through over these many years would forget God, but they did. They did. That that generation that got in the promised land, they were comfortable and they, they took care of their families, but the next generation forgot God and it was soon that they forgot about the God that delivered them. I don't know why we can't learn from history. I wonder that myself. 
I don't know. It's entirely possible that each generation has to discover the truth of God's word and the truth of God on their own. It has, maybe it has to be a calling of God in their individual lives. I don't know. Or maybe it's the fact that we failed to pass our faith on to the next generation. But something happened in Israel, and the same thing has happened here. I've read statistics where 80% of the kids that grow up in churches walk away from the faith as soon as they're adults and they never come back. And I really hope that statistic is wrong. You know what you can do with statistics. You can't really trust them. God cries out to them, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thy help. Some of the times I think God brings these problems on our land for the specific purpose of causing us to call out to him. Today our nation is just as blind as Israel is old. And why can't we learn the fact that in God is our help? You know, my mother and father went through the uh, depression. Uh, even uh, in, in her, last, not her last years, but certainly the last couple of decades of her life, she was still darning socks. No one today even knows what that means. But if you get a hole in your sock, she'd stitch it up for you. And uh, she'd sit there with a little round wooden ball and stretch the sock over it and sew up the hole. And, of course, when that was stitched up, it, it, it left a bump in your sock. And nowadays we just throw our socks away. But that's the way it was in those days. You took care of stuff. For my mother, a gift of underwear was a great Christmas present. I thought it was a waste of money myself, but she thought that was really important stuff. You know, And that's because they grew up in the Depression. And then they went through World War II. And the churches were filled with Americans praying for their boys and their girls overseas, praying for their nation that God would deliver us. But then my generation came along and we had it easy. We, not, we, we got rid of our push mower and we ended up with a gasoline-powered mower. You know, we got, we got rid of our radio and got a black and white television. We were living in the upper class. Let me tell you, we were comfortable. We never worried about food or anything like that. And therefore, God wasn't necessary because we had our jobs and our income. And it's kind of sad. Anyway, let's get back to our story here. After this, I saw in the night visions. And behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. You get the impression that this, this empire is nasty. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, I've said before this, I believe, is the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire Part 1 and the Roman Empire Part 2. Uh, the Roman Empire went on for, for hundreds of years, had 75 different emperors, but from the standpoint of prophecy, it only goes on for ten Caesars, and then it stops. Uh, Daniel is fascinated with this last beast, this last world empire. It's a monster that defies description. But when you go to the book of the Revelation, and I think I told you this last week, you will find that the elements of the, uh, see if I can get this right, the lion, the bear, and the uh, leopard are all in it. So this last empire will be comprised of all the evils of all the, of all the other. Now, I do believe this represents the Roman Empire Phase 1 and Roman Empire Phase 2, which theologians sometimes, well, dispensational theologians sometimes call revived Rome. There's Rome, 
And then there's revived Rome. Rome never really went away, if you think about it. Rome wanted to conquer the world. It ended up breaking itself up into a whole bunch of nations in Europe, which, by the way, fought each other for almost the entire 2,000 years. There's almost been a, never been a time that there wasn't a war going on somewhere in Europe. It's pretty amazing. And each time, one of those fragments, one of those... Uh, those pieces of the Roman Empire has, have tried to conquer the world and, and haven't been successful, you know. So you get this ten horns and you say, well, what are these ten horns? And it had ten horns. Am I still in the same spot? Good. Uh, let me click to the next and maybe it'll help. I don't want to lose my place here, though. Uh, the angelic explanation is, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and it shall tread down and break in pieces. Now, when I think of pieces, I think of England and France and Spain and Portugal, and that's what I think of when I think of pieces. Uh, the, the ten horns, the question is, is this ten kings of ancient Rome, or is this ten kings in revived Rome? Now, as I said, Google is 75 Caesars, so there were certainly more than 10 Caesars. And you remember I said last week those 10 Caesars, those 10 horns represent the 10 Caesars of the ancient Roman Empire. I think that's true, but I also think it represents 10 kingdoms, 10 pieces of the Roman Empire, 10 countries, the way we would say it, that will be part of revived Rome. I think both are true. And even though there were 10, I'm sorry, there were 75 Caesars, well, Actually, if you Google it, you'll find anywhere from 60, anywhere from 14 to 75 emperors of the Roman Empire. So it's interesting how they count them, and nobody seems to agree. But there were nine emperors up until A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed. And they think, well, that's not 10. But number 10, the 10th emperor, is Titus. And Titus was the general that conquered Israel. So you could legitimately say that during the reign or the rise of the reign of the 10th kingdom of the ancient Roman Empire, Jerusalem fell and ceased to exist. And I, I, this comes from Hal Lindsey. It's, it's as if there was a divine clock, a stopwatch, if you will. And when Israel ceased to exist dispensationally, the stopwatch stopped and the church age began. And it hasn't started back up yet, we don't think. All right, but we do know that when when the stopwatch starts up again, this little horn will rise up, of which this message is predominantly about. Will rise up. He'll coalesce ten of those ancient nations together and form another world empire, and will will again enslave and conquer Israel. Uh, this last empire will be so destructive that Europe will be shattered, according to the angel here in verse 23. Do I still have that up? Yes. You know, and I wonder, what is our role? People always ask, even as a brand new Christian, I would ask, what is our role? What is America's role in all of this? And I don't know if we're a peace or an escapee. I, I like to think of the American history that I was taught when I was in elementary school that a bunch of people who were under persecution in Europe fled Europe and came over here to find freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and they settled this country with the hope of living in a manner that represented what they believed, and I, I hope that's true. I hope some of that's at least true, and I would like to think that we're escapees from the ten-nation confederacy, that America won't be part of it, but I don't know. 
I don't know. I've often heard uh, people say, well, America has to get out of the way. If, if there's going to be a rise of a Roman Empire under Antichrist, America's going to have to get out of the way. We're too powerful and we're too rich. Well, actually, right now we're dead broke. Uh, we're, we're worse than broke. We're bankrupt. And uh, we've lost an enormous amount of power in recent years. So I don't know where we fit. I don't know if we're one of the ten or we're just the illegitimate stepchild of Rome. I don't know. But we do know it says it's going to devour the whole earth, and I, I kind of think of that as gobble up all the resources, steal all the money, and, and conquer all the people and use them as slaves. It starts with ten horns, ten kings, but as Daniel studied it, an eleventh appeared. I considered the horns, and behold, the word behold always denotes surprise. Surprise, there came up, one, there came up among them another little horn, now, there are 66 names for Antichrist. Little Horn is but one of them. Uh, and, and I'm not sure Antichrist is one of the 66. That's really the label we put on him. Uh, I lost my place. As Daniel stares at the ten horns, uh, Little Horn pops up. And before this newest horn, three other horns are plucked up by the roots. And behold, this horn were eyes like a man and a mouth speaking great things. What well, One of the things rabbit hole here. Uh, one of the things that's interesting to follow is how words are used in the Old and New Testament and they mean the same thing. And in this particular case, almost every reference to this personage we call Antichrist, it always talks about him having a big mouth and blaspheming God. You know, and uh, this is not a biblical name, but I know Chuck Missler says we ought to just call him Mr. Big Mouth rather than Antichrist. There are a lot of forces of Antichrist in the world now. I mean, all the, all the forces of the world are arrayed against God. The world is against God. John taught us that in First and Second John. So we know that there are many Antichrists in the world, John said, but the Antichrist, capital A, or the capital A Antichrist, he's probably on the world scene now, but he's, uh, well, we're not aware of it yet. And I don't think we will be because Paul tells us that he won't be revealed until it be taken out of the way. And I hope it is the Holy Spirit. And I hope when it is taken out of the way, we go with him. So I'm kind of hoping that we'll never know who the Antichrist is, at least not from uh, earth. The angel's explanation of verse that verse is found in verse 24. And I don't know if this helps you or not. So tell me if it does uh, after the service. Uh, I, I've gone... This chapter repeats itself. It, you have everything Daniel saw, and then a few comments, and then everything the angel said, and I'm just parallel in the two so you can maybe compare them, and that's the reason I thought, well, let's try PowerPoint because when we get into others of Daniel's messages, I'm going to have to have PowerPoint. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. I, I, I would love to know... Who put that colon there? That colon is not in the scriptures. There were no, there was no punctuation. But why did the translators put a colon there? Uh, Ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and shall subdue three kings. So, when Jesus got up to read in Isaiah, he read right up to a comma. There weren't any commas in Isaiah, but in the King James version there is, and then he stopped. And you read right up to here and there's a pause. There's a colon. And another shall rise after them. So you get the sense that in between the two something is going on. And I have to believe that in between the two 
is the church age. At some point, however, yet future, I believe after the rapture, this little horn will rise up. Uh, this little horn will take control, subdue three other kingdoms. There will be ten nations in his confederacy. And the last one world government, this beast, this monster, under the leadership of the little, little horn, which we call Antichrist, will conquer the world. Now we get to some of his speaking, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints, persecution. He'll think to change times and laws, all those rules that cultures have held as true for centuries, millennia, really. He's going to seek to change them. That, by the way, is happening right now. We're doing the best we can to absolutely turn what has been human culture for 6,000 years, we're turning it right on its ear or we're attempting to, all right? And they shall be given unto his hand. In other words, he's going to win and we're going to lose. Well, the saints are going to lose. I hope we're out of here. Until a time and times and the dividing of times. Again, with the mouth speaking Greek words, he's going to conquer the world with his mouth. Now, recently, uh, someone asked me, said, do you think Donald Trump could be the Antichrist? And, and I said, you know, people follow him so greatly, I, 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 I worry about it sometimes. But the truth is, I don't think so, because he doesn't gain power with his mouth. He offends people with his mouth. I don't think Antichrist. I just think Antichrist is going to be a smoother talker than Donald Trump. I, 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 so I don't think Trump is the Antichrist. If he's taking English courses now and learning to speak, we'll look into it later. But he definitely had a powerful following, you know. As he assumes more and more power, the persecution of the saints will get worse, and he'll seek to change the fundamental laws of society. And for a while, he will succeed. But in the end, remember the angel told us, God wins. But now something is new that we didn't know before. His time is limited. It will be for a time, singular, and times plural or a dual one plus two and a dividing times half it'll be for two and a half periods of time now that could be anything but often especially in daniel it represents years so it's saying three and a half years and if you look that up in scriptures this time is posted in prophecy all over the Bible, Old and New Testament. It's listed as a time, times, dividing of times, but it's also listed as three and a half years. It's, it's prophesied, can't say that word, it's prophesied as 1,260 days. It's also prophesied as 42 months. We're talking about what Jesus called, the, what we call the second half of the Great Tribulation, what Jesus called the Great Tribulation, three and a half years of God's punishment of the earth. So as Antichrist rides to power, rises to power, those that are here, and I'm trusting it'll be tribulation saints and not us, uh, but if it is us, either way, we know that his time is limited. And then the promises in verse 26, oh, did I not do that? But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion and consume and destroy it unto the end. God will prevail. We don't need to be afraid. God will prevail. The judgment, I, I wouldn't say the judgment will sit. I would say the judgment will stand. 
Now the word there is sit, but I like the word stand. The judgment will stand. God's plan will stand firm. Jesus will reign. The angels will take away the little horn's dominion and will destroy it forever. Let me get up to verse. Let me get up to seven now. What happens? There we go. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. I, I, I'm told that ancient kingdoms, their king would sit on a throne, but the throne would have wheels. So when they wanted to move the throne around, they could roll the king out into the judgment hall or they could roll him back into the great theater. And the, the, the idea of wheels weren't unusual in an oriental throne, but in God's particular case, he has fiery wheels. And if you think back to Old Testament prophecies of Ezekiel, you think, yep, yeah, the same, same description. And when you go forward all the way up to Revelation chapter 1, you'll see a description of the Lord Jesus Christ that is this exact same description. And that's the consistency that I'm talking about. Prophetically, from one end of the Bible to the other, the Bible is clear about what's going to happen going forward. We can trust the Word. It's very consistent about what it does. This is Jesus that Daniel is describing here. This is a pre-incarnate vision of the of the the Christ in his God form. You know, we talk about Christ in his man form. This is Christ in his God form. Those guards that beat and plucked out uh, Jesus's beard will be a little bit calmer in his presence this time because they won't see him weak and lowly again. What they're going to see is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I read that passage where they had Jesus blindfolded and they said, prophesy who has smote you, who who slapped you or hit you, smote in the King James. Uh, prophesy, and I, I just cringe when I think about that man when he meets the Lord Jesus face to face. The world is going to melt away in terror and fear at the lion of the tribe of Judah as he rises to his throne. Now, in the next section of this, God the Father is going to deliver the kingdoms of this world to Christ, but I'm not going to go that much further. Okay, uh, it would take us way too long. But the lost world is going to tremble at the mere mention of the name of Jesus Christ and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's see what I do if I click this again. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands and thousands, thousand thousands ministered unto him. That's a million. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. We have here. Now, the ones that ministered to him, I, I hope are us. But we are told that it is the tribulation saints that, serve, that are raised to serve and minister to Jesus. So that might be the tribulation saints. And I don't know if that number is literal or not. One number, thousand, thousand is a million. And 10,000 times 10,000 is a hundred million. Uh, but those numbers pale in comparison to those lost. The lost of the ages that will be raised before the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be in the billions, not millions. But these may be numbers as big as Daniel's mind can actually comprehend. His, his mathematics probably never added that many zeros uh, before. We have a description here of the great white throne judgment that we find in Revelation chapter 20. 
we find here that the books are opened, and, and the three books that you see as you research it in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, the three books are the book of law, and that is every time that you break a law, it's written down somewhere. And then there's the book of works. Every time you do something good, that good thing you've done will be written down. And then there's the Lamb's book of life. When you pray and confess your sins and receive Jesus as your Savior, uh, your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And that's what Jesus told the disciples. He said, don't rejoice that the demons are obedient to you. Rejoice instead that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Because the fact is, when you stand before God as a lost person at the great white throne judgment, there will be nothing to save you there. If your name isn't written down in the Lamb's book of life, there's no amount of good works that will undo the wrong that any of us, all of us have done. We've all committed sin. And one sin, if you're guilty of one sin, according to James, you're guilty of the whole law. So once we've committed one sin, there's no amount of works that can undo the wrong that I've done. I can say, but God, I've only killed one person. And look at all these sermons I preach. And God would say, but that guy is still dead. You can't undo the wrong that you've done. If it isn't for the Lord Jesus Christ and our name written down in the Lamb's book of life, we have no hope. And our names are written down when we confess our sin to God and ask Him to come into our life and save us, to forgive us of our sin, to wash us clean in His blood, and to let His death on that cross be for us. The body and blood of Christ is the only hope we have. Now the angel adds uh, that the kingdom and dominion and the kingdom and dominion and greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High God. So the lost world is going to be disposed of, as we know in Revelation chapter 20, and the world will be given to us, a world kingdom, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Uh, let me go up one more. I'm not sure I should have done that. Uh, in this vision are four kingdoms that will persecute and dominate Israel. But after them, God will set up an eternal kingdom and God will maintain an everlasting dominion over all the peoples of the earth. And when God's kingdom begins, the little horn will be destroyed. Am I at the right spot for the Zoomers? Yes. I beheld them because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke. I beheld even until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. You know, the other ten nations, uh, they're going to survive. The peoples of those nations will survive for a while, the, 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 the angel tells us. It's concerning the rest of the beasts, world empires, remember. They had their dominion taken away. They actually lost power to Antichrist, right? But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's saying they're going to serve the, the if, if, if you were part of the Greek empire and you're a Greek man today or a Greek woman today, you're not going to be destroyed just because your empire was part of it. You will survive for a time. But I don't know what that means, whether that's talking about believers from these old empires who go into the millennium or it's talking about just getting to the point where they the angels decide who's getting into the kingdom or not. I don't. I really don't know what the angel means when he says that. I probably should have skipped that verse rather than share my ignorance here. Where am I at now? Verse 22. 
The nations of the world will lose all their political power as Jesus rises to power, but their people will remain for a time. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given unto the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. It's going to look bad for a while, the angel says, but not forever. And the kingdom and dominion and greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That's the conclusion of the matter. That's the end. That's what we call eternity future. And then Daniel does this postscript right at the end of the chapter. And he said, hitherto is the end of the matter. That's it. I used to watch a cartoon as a kid. And they'd go, that's all, folks. That's where it ends. But as for me, Daniel, my cogitations, am I saying that word correctly? My cogitations? You ever go to bed and you can't sleep because you can't stop something from running around in your head? I guess that's cogitating. I don't know. That's not a word I use very often. My cogitations much troubled me. Why couldn't you sleep last night? Oh, I was cogitating. And my countenance changed within me. I used to smile a lot, but not anymore. But I kept the matter in my heart. This was very troubling for him. Very troubling. As it is for all of us. It's nice that the angel was kind enough to leave it on a positive note. That God wins the fight. His kingdom reigns forever. And we will be with him forever and ever. We have to make sure we're in him. Father, thank you for this time together and this opportunity to study your, your scriptures. Thank you for the life of Daniel. Oh, gee, it's, it's 2,500 years ago. Pressing towards 3,000 years ago. And yet his words are so pertinent and so present for us today. And Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that they, that they have found a time in their life where they have personally confessed their sins to your son Jesus and have received him his forgiveness, received his blood-bought forgiveness for their sins. I pray that even now they would pray, Lord, forgive me. I trust you. Come into my life and save me. And I pray, Father, that their names too would be written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jesus' name, amen.